The Guardian. Questions to the Prime Minister, Fiona O'Donnell. Question number one, Mr Speaker. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, I'm sure the whole House will wish to join me in paying tribute to the three British servicemen that were killed in Afghanistan on Sunday in that appalling incident. Guardsman Apeet Tui Zavura and Guardsman Craig Roderick, Roderick of the 1st Battalion Welsh Guards and Warrant Officer Class 2 Leonard Thomas of the Royal Corps of Signals. We send our heartfelt condolences to the families of the servicemen killed in this tragic, appalling incident. They will never be forgotten by our nation. This morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others, and in addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Fiona O'Donnell. I, and I'm sure the whole House, will want to associate ourselves with the Prime Minister's remarks, as well as sending our deepest condolences to the families of the crew from RAF Lossiemouth, who were lost earlier this week. Mr Speaker, food prices rose 4.6% between March last year and this year. I understand why. So can the Prime Minister spare me the lecture and tell the House what is he doing about food inflation? Well, first of all, can I join the Honourable Lady in what she said about the, 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 the tornado aircraft accident at RAF Lossamouth? She's absolutely right that our thoughts should be with the friends, family and the colleagues of those involved. The circumstances still remain uncertain, but it's clearly a very serious incident. The investigation is ongoing and more details will be released by the RAF in, in due course. But it's a reminder of the risk that our service personnel take, not only when they're on active service, but when they're undergoing vital training for that service. On the issue of food inflation, first of all, I would make the point that inflation is now falling in our country, which is extremely, uh, which is extremely good news. Uh, in terms of uh, f- food inflation, it's obviously absolutely vital that the prices faced by people in our shops aren't too hard on their budget, but the way to keep inflation down is to have a responsible monetary policy, which is what we have in our country. Mr Nicholas Soames. <laughs> of course these serious banking difficulties must be dealt with, it is vital that we retain the central importance of the City of London and recognise that any reforms must be proportionate and not damage such a brilliant asset for our country. Well, I think my honourable friend does make uh, an important point. We've got to get to the bottom of what has happened. We've got to do that quickly. But I think in doing that, we should bear in mind uh, the remarks of Richard Lambert, who, who ran the CBI very successfully for many years, who carried out an investigation uh, for, for the party opposite, who I respect a great deal. And he said this, the, the, Lib- the LIBOR scandal means the required changes have to be tougher. That's the argument for a short, sharp inquiry. But going back to square one would, to put it mildly, be a serious mistake. The economy cannot recover in the absence of a stable banking system, nothing can be more urgent than that. That's not the only consideration. We must get to the truth, but we should listen to these expert opinions as well. Mr Ed Miliband. Mr Speaker, can I join the Prime Minister in paying tribute to Guardsman Apit Tui Zavuru, Guardsman Craig Roderick of the 1st Battalion of the Welsh Guards, and also to Warrant Officer Class 2 Leonard Thomas of the Royal Corps of Signals. 
They died in the most tragic of circumstances. Our hearts go out to their family and friends. I also join the Prime Minister in the remarks he made about the incident at RAF Lossiemouth. Mr Speaker, the banking scandal of the last week has revealed traders cheating, the mis-selling of insurance products to small businesses, and comes on top of other scandals in the banking system, and the continuing multi-million bonus merry-go-round. How can he convince people that a parliamentary inquiry is a better way of restoring people's confidence than a full, independent, forensic and open judge-led inquiry? Well, well, first of all, let me say, on the substance of the issue, there is no disagreement between us. I mean, this banking scandal is appalling. It is outrageous, frankly, that homeowners may have paid higher mortgage rates and small businesses may have paid higher interest rates because of spivvy and probably illegal activity in the city. People, people want to know that crime in our banks, crime in our financial services, will be pursued and punished like crimes on our streets. And I think as well as that, as well as people being held accountable, they want rapid action to make sure this cannot happen again. Now, in my view, the most important thing about an inquiry is that it's swift and decisive. Set up as fast as possible, gets going as fast as possible, reports as fast as possible, transparent and open at every stage. That's why I favour a public parliamentary inquiry rather than a judge-led inquiry. I want us to legislate on this starting next year. Mr Speaker, I do understand his concerns about speed, but there are concerns also that the inquiry that is being talked about is far too narrow, focused solely on the scandal of LIBOR, when we know the problems go much wider to the culture and practices in the city. I believe, however, there is a way forward we could agree upon, that we have a two-part judge-led inquiry that's instructed by Christmas to report on the scandal surrounding LIBOR, that's his timetable, and the second part of it looks over 12 months at the much wider area of the culture and practices with the industry. That satisfies his requirement for speed, but also the necessary requirement to look at the wider culture and practices in the city. Will he agree to my proposal? I always look very carefully and listen very carefully to proposals from, from all sides of the House. Let me just make, make three points in response. First of all, on the issue of the structure of banking and the future of banking, of course we set up the Vickers Inquiry, which reported, and we're going to implement the Vickers Inquiry, which will for the first time separate investment banking from retail banking. It's a major step forward. Second point, the inquiry, the parliamentary inquiry we're proposing, is wider than he says. It is going to look at the culture of banking. And my honourable friend, the member for Chichester, confirmed that this morning. The third point I would make, but again, all these points need to be looked at, is clearly the serious fraud office are still considering whether to launch a criminal investigation. While that's happening, there are dangers in opting for a judge-led inquiry, which might not be able to get underway. So as I say, if you, if you want to do this as fast as possible, to get action as fast as possible, I think the way we've suggested is right. But we clearly had the vote in the House of Lords last night where the House of Lords voted against a public inquiry. We have made time available on Thursday, which hasn't happened before, for an opposition motion to be debated and voted on, and then a government motion to be debated and voted on. Frankly, what matters, less, what matters more than the process is the substance, getting on with it. So I hope we can accept the results on Thursday. Mr Speaker, we were in exactly the same position a year ago 
when initially he rejected the idea of a judge-led inquiry into the press scandal, and then he rightly changed his mind. In justifying that decision, he said this, I don't believe there is any better process than an inquiry led by a judge. And he went on, with the whole thing pursued by a team of barristers who are expert at finding out the facts. Mr Speaker, why is it right to have this judge-led approach to the scandal in the press, but wrong for the scandal in the banks? I think there is a very profound difference between the circumstances with the Leveson inquiry and the circumstances with this inquiry. Because, of course, the Leveson inquiry followed a whole series of unsuccessful and failed inquiries. On this occasion, we've had a very successful inquiry from the Department of Justice in America and the Financial Services Authority, which has uncovered the wrongdoing. Now what's required is swift inquiry, swift action, swift legislation. And that's what you'll get from this government. Mr Speaker, I don't think the Prime Minister has understood the depths the depth of public concern, the, the, the depths of the lack of confidence of the lack of confidence there have been. Now, now he says he says both that his, the inquiry he proposes can be completed within essentially four months, but that it can go as wide as it likes. It's simply not realistic. I, I do say to him that I've listened to his concerns and I've proposed a way forward. I ask him. To, I ask him again: a, a two-part, a two-part inquiry with a judge completing on the Chancellor's timetable by Christmas on LIBOR, and then looking at the wider issue. And there are many issues about the culture and practices of the city. I do understand the public concern about this issue, which is why I want us to get on with it. And frankly, it is this government that is going to legislate to split the banks, as Vickers suggested. It's this government that's scrapping the tripartite agreement that failed so badly under the last government. It's this government that's introduced the bank levy so the banks pay their taxes properly. And we've introduced the most transparent regime for pay and bonuses in any financial centre anywhere in the world, as evidence that this House of Commons is getting on with it, we're going to see Bob Diamond questioned upstairs by the Treasury Select Committee this afternoon. What I would say to the Honourable Gentleman, we are having a vote in the House of Commons tomorrow, a vote on his motion and a vote on the Government motion. Clearly, if the opposition motion wins, there will be a full independent public inquiry. I would urge him to say now that if the Government motion is carried, he will cooperate with a full parliamentary inquiry. Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker, I don't think the Prime Minister gets it about the depth, about the depth of public concern. Now, I, I hope, I, I do hope he will reconsider his position. But he mentions the Vickers inquiry, and he says that they are implementing the Vickers inquiry. I do say, I do say this to him: the, the Vickers Commission said this about a very important issue that has come out in the last two weeks about the way in which high street banks have sold dodgy products to small businesses. They said that should never be allowed to happen again. But after lobbying by the banks, the government rejected this very basic recommendation of Vickers. In light of the recent scandal, with small businesses damaged, will he now U-turn and implement the Vickers recommendations in full? Well, well, first of all, Mr Speaker, I'm not going to get a lecture in getting it from a party that was in office for 13 years.
specific question, on his specific question uh, about the Vickers inquiry, first of all, let me repeat, this Vickers inquiry was set up by this government, will be implemented by this government, something that hadn't happened before. The Vickers, under the Vickers inquiry, complex derivatives will be included in the investment bank ring fence. They won't be in the retail banks that we want to make more safe. But let me just say this to him. If he wants a quick resolution to this, he must accept the outcome of a vote in the House of Commons. I'm prepared to do that. Why isn't he? Mr Speaker, Mr Speaker. Government backbenchers who've been here for some years ought to have grasped by now that it's not the responsibility of the Leader of the Opposition to answer, so they should pipe down and try to be good boys if they can. Ed Miliband. Mr. Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker, if he wants a history lesson, this is what he told the City of London on the 28th of March 2008. As a free marketeer by conviction, it will not surprise you to hear me say that the problem of the past decade is too much regulation. Doesn't it say it all about the double standards of this Prime Minister? And, and whenever and whenever these scandals happen, he is slow to act and he stands up for the wrong people. The question people are asking is who will act in the national interest rather than the party interest. His is a party bankrolled by the banks. If he, fa- if he, fails, to order, if he fails to order a judge-led inquiry, people will come to one conclusion. He simply can't act in the national interest. Mr Speaker, everybody can see what is happening here. Uh, order. Members must calm down. I said it to government backbenchers. I'm now saying it to opposition backbenchers. Let the answer be heard. The Prime Minister. The party opposite want to talk about absolutely everything apart from their record of 13 years in government. Mr. Speaker, we may have found the Higgs boson particle. Labour haven't found a sense of shame. Liz Truss. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Today is a hugely significant day for British scientists with the announcement of the Higgs boson discovery. 6,000 scientists worked on it worldwide, 700 from the UK, with a major contribution from the North West. A constituent of mine, Professor Phil Allport, Head of Particle Physics at Liverpool University, led the Atlas uh, experiment. Can the Prime Minister confirm this government's commitment to science and its commitment to institutions in the North West? I think the Honourable Lady is absolutely right to raise this issue and also raise the immense British contribution there has been to this extraordinary breakthrough, not least uh, Higgs himself and the extraordinary work she's, as she says, done uh, in, in the northwest of England. I think it is a very big step forward. We should congratulate everyone involved. This government's commitment to the science budget is without any doubt, not least because while we've had to make difficult cuts, we've preserved the science budget. Jim Shannon. Mr. Speaker, in the last 15 days, has witnessed absolute chaos in the Ulster Bank 
uh, direct debits continue to be removed. Wage checks uh, uh, haven't been put into the accounts. The Ulster Bank is owned by RBS. We, the people, have an 82% share in RBS. Therefore, government has a major say in what happens in the Ulster Bank in Northern Ireland. Can the Prime Minister give an assurance to the 100,000 Ulster Bank customers that they will have a direct input from the Prime Minister and government to address this issue? And that normal banking will resume immediately. I can quite understand why the Honourable Gentleman raises this on behalf of his constituents. What happened isn't acceptable. Clearly, it's an operational matter for the bank, but the Financial Services Authority has been monitoring this very closely. Uh, My right honourable friend, the Secretary of State for Northern Ireland, spoke yesterday to the Chairman of of RBS. The lessons must be learned, but I can tell him that RBS has said it will reimburse any customer for penalty charges or overdraft fees, anything that's incurred because of these difficulties. Mr Eric Oller-Renshaw. Mr Speaker, to be blunt, my constituents in Lancaster and Fleetwood and businesses are losing faith in their banks. What they need from the Prime Minister is a reassurance that there will be no more political skeletons in the cupboard left by the Labour Party. What what matters? What matters for his constituents and frankly everyone in this House is that we get to the bottom of what happened as quickly as possible. We've had a vote in the House of Lords, we'll have a vote in the House of Commons, then we need to get on with it. We're sent to this House to hold these inquiries, to find these facts, to pass these laws. Let's get on with it. Uh, yesterday, yesterday, Mr Speaker, 117 manufacturing jobs were lost in my constituency on a rising trend of unemployment in North Wales. Could the Prime Minister confirm to the House that the GDP figures last week showed that his government's performance was worse than he expected, yeah. requires change and actually is uh, the cause of his government's policies? Yeah. Yeah. No, I very much regret any loss of jobs, including in his constituency, particularly as it comes at a time when since the election we've seen 800,000 extra jobs in the private sector. I'm very concerned about the economic performance in Wales which over the last decade or more has actually fallen further behind uh, the United Kingdom and I think we need to work, the rest of the United Kingdom, we need to work very very hard with the Welsh Assembly Government to try and make sure that we're making Wales more competitive. Mr Stephen Lloyd. Thank you Mr Speaker. A key part of the health bill is that clinical change must be led by clinicians and patients. In my own hospital in Eastbourne, the DGH, the majority of consultants have said that they have no confidence in the proposed clinical change by the Trust, by the vast majority of the public in Eastbourne share that lack of confidence. Will the Prime Minister confirm that the local Trusts have to listen to the health bill, the clinicians and local people in Eastbourne? I can absolutely confirm that. Clearly, changes shouldn't go ahead unless there's proper listening to local clinicians and local people. That is how our health service should operate. My right honourable friend, the health secretary, will be making an announcement shortly. But the good news is if you look across the health service, inpatient and outpatient waiting times are down, and we've got the best ever performance for patients waiting for longer than 18 weeks to be treated. Added to that, mixed sex wards are down, rates of infection are down, the health service is doing well. Anasawa. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The Prime Minister will be aware that the Crown Office in Scotland has confirmed that it's been carrying out an investigation led by the Serious Crime Division into allegations that several banks, including state-owned RBS, have provided false information to financial markets. Does the Prime Minister back that investigation? And given the scale of the crisis, given the scale of public anger, will he back 
uh, the need for a full independent judge-led inquiry and crucially will he give us a free vote in the House tomorrow? Well, I think there are, there are two important things here. First of all, we should allow all of the investigative authorities to carry out their investigations and take them wherever the evidence leads them. That's true for the Serious Fraud Office, it's true for the Financial Services Authority, and we need to make sure they have the resources necessary to do that. Then we have to consider the nature of the inquiry. And the problem, I think, with the suggestion he makes is as, as these investigations are ongoing, it's actually easier to hold a rapid investigation within Parliament than to set up an investigation outside Parliament. James Wharton. What, me what message would the Prime Minister send to the emergency services, local authorities and communities across the North East that swung into action so effectively when the region was hit by flooding last week? Well, the first thing I'd say is a huge congratulations and thank you to the emergency services. I saw for myself, not in, not in his constituency, but when I was in West Yorkshire, the incredible work that was done there. I think the other thing to note is whenever these things happen, there's an incredible coming together of community and social action to help people who've been flooded out of their homes. And I'm sure everyone on all sides of the House will want to thank people for what they've done on, the, on others' behalf. Ian Lucas. On the question of a European referendum, is it the policy of the Prime Minister to be indecisive, or is he not sure? <laughs> I wonder how long uh, in front of the bathroom mirror that one took. I think there are two things that wouldn't be right. The first is to hold an in-out referendum now. I don't think that's the right approach. The second would be to rule it out for all time. I've no idea what his party's policy is. Mr. Julian Brazier. Yeah. Thank you very much. Would my right honourable friend agree that central to any reforms of banking uh, must be, from the point of view of ordinary punters, two things. First of all, the proposals which we are already working up to ensure people can move their accounts quickly, cheaply and easily. And secondly, an absolute guarantee that governments never again will bail out banks. Well, I think the makes two very important points. On the first point, being able to move your bank account, that will be in place later this year. On the issue of bailing out banks, what we need to do is put in place mechanisms so that banks can fail without calling on taxpayers to support them. That resolution regime, which for 13 years was left untouched by the party opposite, has been dealt with by this government. The euro now has a solid record of de destroying jobs and democracy uh, through, throughout Europe. Uh, the, the Prime Minister is failing to repatriate any powers or resources uh, to this, this country. When is he actually going to stop the dithering and allow the electorate in this country to have a, a referendum on the euro, euro uh, the, on the uh, European Union to decide whether to get in, stay in or get out of that mess? Well, first of all, we have actually repatriated one power, which was we've got out of the bailout that the last government put us into. And that is saving us billions of pounds. And I think if he takes that view, he should be sitting on this side of the House rather than that side. Mr David Morris. Mr Speaker, I want to draw the attention away from banking for one moment to my right hon. Friend. And to the opposition to more important matters, children's lives in my constituency. Five children in my constituency have been involved in an accident in a crossing outside of St Peter's School in Heesham. 
I know this is a county council matter, but I would like the assistance of the Prime Minister to help me try and get a crossing outside of St Peter's School. Well, I think my honourable friend is entirely right to raise a constituency case like this where so many people have, have lost their lives and where there is such a threat to safety. I will certainly look at what he says, and as he says, it's a matter for the County Council, but if I can help him to put his case, I'd be pleased to do so. Mr Jonathan Ashworth. Uh, Leicester is feeling the brunt of the Prime Minister's double-dip recession with the sad news today that yet another business is going under with the loss of local jobs. In this context, was the Prime Minister as disappointed as I was at the figures last month that showed lending to small businesses down by 1.7 billion and is it now not clear that the Chancellor's credit easing policies aren't working? First of all, the, the, the credit easing policy, the National Loan Guarantee Scheme, is going to make available £20 billion of extra loans. Some of that money is already available. The Merlin scheme actually saw lending to small businesses go up in, in 2011. It is a difficult situation when you've got banks that are very nervous about the economic situation, but the Treasury, the Bank of England, and through the Merlin Agreement, we're doing all we can to get money out of banks and into hard-pressed businesses. Sir Peter Tapp. If, uh, if, as a result of this shameful banking crisis, bank executives are dismissed or forced to resign and the boards of their banks fail to act appropriately, will the government do its best to try to ensure that the delinquents are not able to walk away with their bonuses and severance payments. No, I think the father of the house makes an extremely good point. I think it would be completely wrong if people who were leaving under these circumstances were given some vast payoff. It would be completely inexplicable to the British public and would not be right, and I very much hope that doesn't happen. In terms of what the government can do, what we are going to do is legislate so that all pay deals are put to shareholders in a binding vote, and those deals should include any severance payments. Again, some Think the party opposite had 13 years to do, we're going to do in two. Mr Michael Meacher. Since the richest thousand persons in Britain made gains of £155 billion in the last three years of austerity, why won't the government uh, charge those gains at capital gains tax rate, which would bring around £40 billion, enough without any increase in public borrowing at all to generate a million or more jobs, which is a far better way to cut the deficit through growth rather than through the Chancellor's failed slump. I hate to remind the Honourable right, Gentleman, but he was a minister in the government where the last government's capital gains tax rules meant that people in the city were paying less in tax than they, their cleaners were paying in tax. What we've done is actually lift the rate of capital gains tax to 28%, so actually we have a fairer system. Mr Duncan Haim. Mr Speaker, pupils I met recently at Caution Primary School told me in their own creative ways that they like to learn together. But they know that many children in other countries never get that chance. As the chair of the UN's high-level panel on the Millennium Development Goals, how will the Prime Minister restart efforts to ensure that all girls and boys around the world get to go to school? I think my honourable friend raises an important point, which is the Send My Friend to School campaign that many of us will have seen in our own constituencies, and it's a brilliant way of teaching young people the importance about showing responsibility for 
for others on the other side of the world who don't have the advantages that, that, that they do. And our aid is currently supporting 5.3 million children in primary education and by 2014 we hope to up that to 9 million people so the government is playing its part but we want all of civil society, schools, parents and teachers to join in with this magnificent effort. Mr Nigel Dodds. In addition to what the Prime Minister said earlier in relation to the Ulster Bank crisis in Northern Ireland where households, individuals and businesses are denied even basic banking facilities. Can the Prime Minister, along with the Chancellor, talk to the HMRC to ensure that some flexibility will be shown towards households, individuals and businesses in terms of liabilities there so that people can be helped through cash flow problems that may exist as a result of problems they didn't create? Well, I will certainly look at what the Honourable Gentleman says. As I said, RBS have, uh, have said that they will make sure people don't lose out in terms of banking charges, but the point he makes about the MR HMRC I'll, I'll discuss with the Chancellor. Margot James. Mr. Yeah. Yeah. Mr. Speaker, I welcome the government's commitment to women and girls at the heart of its development policy. As the conference, the Tokyo Conference on the Future of Afghanistan approaches this weekend, will the Prime Minister consider making future aid to Afghanistan conditional on the protection of the hard-won rights of women and girls, which, as he knows, are under attack. Yeah. I think the, my, my honourable friend makes a very important point. What, what we see in Afghanistan is, whereas in 2001 there were less than a million children attending school, and of course there were no girls attending school in 2001, today we've got six million children regularly attending school in Afghanistan, and two million, two million of them are girls. I will listen very carefully to what she says about our aid programme, and discuss it with the Secretary of State. It is important that we attach conditions and have real transparency and proper results from our aid. I think that's the only way we can take people with us as we continue to expand our aid budget at a time of economic difficulty at home. But she's absolutely right to raise this issue because if we want a stable and prosperous Afghanistan and a safe <laughs> Afghanistan, we need an Afghanistan where the role of women is properly respected. Michael McCann. Mr Speaker, can I give the Prime Minister the opportunity to answer the, the, the question put to him a few moments ago by my own Honourable friend from Glasgow Central. If the Prime Minister believes in the sovereignty of Parliament, will he confirm tomorrow will be a free vote across the House? Yeah. There was a vote last night in the House of Lords when Labour peers were heavily whipped to vote for the Labour position. I have a clear view, the Government has a clear view, the whole of the Coalition Government has a clear view about the right way ahead. There will be a motion for the Labour Party, which you can vote for, and a motion for us, which we can vote for. And I hope, and let me put this one more time to the Leader of the Opposition, I will be bound by a vote for a full public inquiry. Will he be bound if the House votes for a parliamentary inquiry? If he can't answer that question, people will take a very dim view of an Opposition Party that stands in the way of an inquiry because they don't want their dirty washing done in public. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Olympics are a great opportunity to bring our nation together. Therefore, does the Prime Minister share my dismay at the plans of some union leaders to disrupt this summer's event? I think my honourable friend makes an important point. We have the Unite Union that is encouraging strikes on our buses in London. The right honourable gentleman likes to talk about standing up to vested interests. What have we heard from him on the trade union movement? 
absolutely nothing. And the whole country will be listening to that. We want to strike free Olympics and Labour should talk to their paymasters about it. Mr Speaker. We all saw and we all witnessed the storms last week across the country. Um, In my own village in Lanchester it hit the headlines because of floods. We are all grateful to the police, the fire brigade, Durham County Council, the Weardale um, Mountain Rescue Service. But will the Prime Minister confirm that the government will be there with real money to support these people and these agencies and not just nice warm words? Of course we will be there to do that and we are investing around £2 billion in future flood defences. Of course all the emergency services have done an excellent job and they remain ready to carry out further work if necessary. And I also think the government should lend a very sympathetic ear to those local councils and local organisations that are in particular setting up hardship funds to help families perhaps who don't have insurance or perhaps cannot afford the excess when it comes to actually uh, uh, dealing with the problems that they have. And I've said to the Department of Communities and Local Government we should be generous in helping people get their lives back together again. George Freeman, would the Prime Minister join me in welcoming the news that over a billion pounds has been raised in the last six months for start-ups in our life science sector, more than in the last three years combined? Would he agree with me this is a massive statement of confidence in our innovation economy and in our policies to make Britain a place to do business. I think my honourable friend who has a close interest in the life sciences and pharmaceutical industries, he knows a lot about what he speaks. One of the successes with the part of the EU patent court coming to London is that the patents that cover uh, life sciences, pharmaceuticals, those industries, are com- that is going to be in London as well. And that is actually tens of uh, many, many jobs and tens of millions of pounds of investment into this industry and into our capital city. Order. Statement the Secretary of State for Health, Mr Secretary Land. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.